Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. first lesson is from the book of Genesis in chapter 15, beginning with the first verse. Listen now to the Word of God. After these things, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you if you are able to count them. And then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For the next three weeks, we will be looking in worship in the sermon and the hymns we sing around issues of keeping the faith. That's sort of the overarching theme. You may recall that theme from the 60s, if you're old enough, the phrase, keep the faith, um, or maybe had an older brother or sister who knew it, or aunt or uncle. Uh, but it's, it's a reference to being loyal and, and finding ways of encouraging others. And so this is a, a way for us to think about what are the ways in which we express our encouragement and express our devotion and our loyalty to God and Jesus Christ as we examine keeping promises, staying connected, and choosing life. So the Scriptures are chosen for those purposes. The Old Testament reading this morning speaks of the story of Abram, and it is picked up, that pick is referred to again in the New Testament reading from the book of Hebrews. Let us listen that we may hear what God is saying to us. Now faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. Indeed, by faith our ancestors received approval. By faith we understand the, the, wor the worlds were prepared by the Word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval for his righteousness, God himself giving approval of these gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch has given, was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was, he was not found because God had taken him, for it is attested before he was taken 
that he was taken away because he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would approach him would, must believe that he exists and he, that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events that were yet unseen, respected that warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out and set to a place where he was to receive an inheritance, and he, as he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in this land that he had been promised as a, in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that was, had its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he received the power of procreation, even though he was too old, and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from that one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of the heaven, and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of this... All of these died in faith without having received their promises, but from a distance they saw and they greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners to the earth, for people who speak in this way make clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. The word of the Lord. This past Thursday at the men's prayer breakfast, Stephen Pafford told us about Bob Williams. In 1995, Bob Williams was the director of the, Nation of the Hubble Space Telescope Institute, the telescope was supposed to open human eyes into the deep recesses of space, but there had been some problems both in its construction and in its launch, and when it was first turned on as it was orbiting the Earth, the images were not what were expected. They were quite disappointing, and work had to be done. In fact, a special space shuttle mission had to be sent up, and work had to be done by astronauts as they prepared the, the Hubble for this new venture. When they turned on the Hubble after they had made the renovations and the repairs, it was absolutely rem remarkable how, how vivid and how powerful the images were that, that came to be seen. They would point at a constellation of stars or a, a place in a galaxy, and they would see in greater resolution and with greater detail things that were there. Then Bob Williams, the director, had this idea. Let's point the telescope at a patch of space where there is nothing. The experts thought that was an awful idea. They thought it was absolutely terrible. Maybe some of them imagined that there would be some snarky headline that would appear soon. You know, the kind about government studies, about this or that, that that are, are supposedly waste of money, to prove nothing. And here, the, the director of the institute was saying, let's point this t 
telescope, this wonderfully expensive piece of equipment that has, we have spent so much money in preparing, let's point it at nothing. It was not well received, but Williams was undeterred, and he was, a, he was willing to risk his reputation and some say maybe even his position, and he did that. So over the course of 100 hours in December of 1995, 342 photographs were taken of a particular spot in space where there was nothing. Each picture had an exposure between 25 and 45 minutes. And shortly thereafter, they compiled all the digital images and they released a new photograph and it's called the Hubble Deep Field. And you can still see it. In fact, there've been a couple of extra a couple of other studies like this done later. It was a picture of what was nothing, but what you see in that nothing are lights of all sorts. What this discovered, what they discovered with this was that there was in fact something where we could see nothing. In fact, 3,000 galaxies were discovered in nothing where there were none that were thought to be. There were stars that were found that were 12 billion light years away. That's a lot of, that's a long, long distance. You can do the math. Director Williams dared to look at a place where there was nothing, and he found something very remarkable. God made a promise to Abram, a covenant we call it, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, and your reward shall be great. But Abram wasn't so sure about that. The way he knew about promises being fulfilled is there is a payoff. My reward will be great, but what is it? He thought he should have children. Abram thought he should have children, and he did not. He only had heirs who were the children of, of servants that he had. God made a promise to him, yet Abram was not very grateful. And then the Lord said, look toward heaven and count the stars. If you are able to count them, so shall your descendants be. The promise is not that there will be the actual number of stars as descendants. It's not that linear or direct. The promise is that there will be an expansive and generous number of descendants. Moreover, it is not about the number of descendants. The promise is for relationships that will flow from that, relationships that will be full of wonder and grace and goodness. Just like looking up at the stars at, in, in the sky at night, there will be amazement and great wonder even in those corners where we don't think there appear to be much at all. In fact, where we would say there is nothing, there is something marvelous and powerful in the world. The promise that God made to Abram is like what Bob Williams did. Where other people cannot see possibility, God can see the future. Where other astronomers thought Williams was exercising profound professional misjudgment. Some might have said he was absolutely bonkers. He saw a wonderful experiment. 
Look at nothing. There is something there. If we make a promise, that promise, um, if we make a promise, then we seek to find ways to live it out. And when we do that, we enter into a deeper relationship. We seal our promise or our covenant with different ways. Sometimes we call these contracts, and we enter into those all the time. A contract to buy a home or to buy a car or to buy a particular financial product. For these agreements to work, there must be trust and integrity and honesty in the relationship that is there. If we do not have that reliability, those characteristics of trust and integrity and honesty, then the product will not produce what it is needed, it needs. So how did Abram come to trust God? How did Abram come to believe that this relationship had integrity? The relationship of God to Abram in this covenant not only is told in Genesis 15, it actually has a part in the beginning and also later. In Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, leave the land that you have known and pick up and take your wife and your household and move to the land that I will show you. In Genesis 15, God says, I'm going to give you a promise of descendants as as numerable as, as the stars. And in Genesis 17, God makes another covenant or, or extends the covenant, and he says to Abram, change your name and that of your wife. You will now be known as Abraham and Sarah. The fulfillment of those, quest- of those promises, of, those, of that covenant, flows from that. There, there were questions, to be sure, maybe even doubts that Abraham and Sarah had. At one point in time, they weren't sure that there would be a child, and they conspired against God so that another child was born. Yet, they, trust, they ended up trusting, and they, they lived into that promise. We trust the promise of God because it has been revealed to us in certain ways. We know about it by reading Scripture, but there is something beyond the Scripture. There's a deeper level as we read it. We know about it because we are told about it. One way of studying Scripture has been said, we read it and we understand it, we listen to it, and we pray it. And as we do that, we deepen our relationship and our trust with God. The Bible is a resource for telling us this story of faith. But faith is something that is more than simply saying, I believe what the Bible says. Faith involves looking into those blank spaces that we see, not only in space, but in the world around us, and maybe even in our own lives. And when we do that, we may be surprised with what resources of life and hope that we find there. We call the segments of of, uh, the Scripture, we call them different books. And we use a variety of language and study methods to study them. The book of Hebrews from the New Testament contains beautiful language of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. These verses recount that faith of Abraham and the children of Israel who made their way in the world on an affirmation of trust in God. 
One of the things that Bible students do and have debated for a long time is how, how is the Bible composed? How was it written? What, how was it put together? Christians affirm that Scripture is inspired by God, but who wrote a particular piece of it is often a matter of debate. And so it is with the book of Hebrews. Within all of the earliest manuscripts, there is no identified author. Some versions, some, some translations and printed versions place in front of verse 1 of Hebrews 1 a statement to the effect that Paul is the author. But that is, that is a debated issue. But it's not simply debated by scholars today. It has been debated for centuries. Even the church fathers, Tertullian and Origen, who lived in the late 100s and early 200s, roughly 120, 130 years after Jesus lived on earth, but early on in the church and looked to as authorities on many things, even they weren't sure that Paul wrote um, the book of Hebrews. And they said as much. They concluded that he did not. But that did not mean that it was not useful. They, that did not mean that it did not contain material that would lift us up, that told this story of faith from a larger, from a larger place. And I want to lift up those places where even from the earliest days, the church may have found that there was disagreement, but there is a message. The words on the page convey the Word of God, but the printed Word is not the final Word. The printed Word is not to be worshipped. The printed book points us to the promise of faith, but in and of itself, it is not the faith. A number of years ago, Vicki and I went to Rome on, as part of an anniversary trip, and we had bought several different tour books, as I'm sure you have done when you've made various kinds of travels. One had several different walking tours of Rome, particularly a walking tour of Rome at night, and we thought that sounded like a good thing, and so we, we took the tour book and we started out on our walking tour of Rome, and we read along and we found, though, that as we walked down the paths, down the streets, and, and into the plazas, and into the, the courtyards, and in, 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 the, in front of the buildings, we found something much more wonderful and powerful. The words on the page could not convey the glory of the sights that were seen. And I think that is the way Scripture is. The words on the page point us to something wonderful and marvelous. But when we experience faith, when we share that, when we look at those spaces and allow the lights from a long time ago to come into our world, when we see that, we see something quite remarkable and quite, I would say, unbelievable, yet it is believable, for we learn to trust in this relationship. The promise of God, the promise of God, of faith that Abram shared with his family, extends down to you and me. We pass it down from generation to generation, and we are part of that transmission process. We receive this story of faith that has been handed down to us. Not only do we receive the Word of God from the words that are printed on the page, we receive it from how we are taught and how we live Several years ago, I conducted the funeral for uh, the father of a church member where I was serving. 
I did not know, have the privilege of knowing this man, but I listened as they, as the sisters and the children gathered to tell stories. And they told one story about how when they were very young, they were driving through South Georgia and they came across on this very hot afternoon, they came across the remnants of a charred, burned cross that was by the side of the road. It had been left over from a KKK rally. The girls did not know what it was, but their father told them. He did it in such a way, both by his words and by his, his actions, that they understood that he did not think that the cross of Christ was a symbol of hate or violence or intimidation. He was taking the Word of God and he was transmitting it to the next generation, as we all do, as we all are part of that process. We pass on this story of faith not only with the work that we do, we may, the missions that we support, but also with the work that we contribute with our time and our energy, the way we share food with those who are hungry, or teach reading to those who cannot read, or provide hospitality for those who do not have a permanent home. The promise of God in Christ is this, you will have life and you will have it abundantly. That is a promise from Jesus in John 10. That is the hope and the desire, a summary of what we hope for. We receive that and we share it. Yet we also know that in the midst of the world we live in, there are difficult and horrible moments. We experience some of those quite personally. We develop an illness or we lose a job. We experience that someone we know is the victim of violence. We know that our nation is challenged in its security now. We see floods ravage Louisiana and fires consume large sections of California. Thousands of people are left bereft and destitute and homeless. In the midst of all of this travail though, we have the wonder of testimony from Scripture and we gather and we hold on to that faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things unseen, those things that we cannot see, those things that are out in that space where no one says there is anything, and yet there is something, there is wonder that awaits us. The Christian author Philip Yancey reflected on what this means in a recent devotion in our Daily Bread devotional. He wrote, the picture of faith that emerges in Hebrews does not fit into any easy formula. Sometimes it leads to victory and triumph. Sometimes it requires gritty determination to hang on at all cost. Our faith rests in the belief that God is in control and that God may, will keep God's promises. But we also see things that are around us and where we live. We have that affirmation that we can make, that basis of affirmation, but we also have the testimony of each other. In a few weeks, 
a new group of elders and deacons will begin their service. As is the custom in preparation, they will share their faith statements with the session. And I've had the privilege of hearing a number of those already. And I can bear witness to you that those are profoundly moving stories of individuals and how they have come to the place where they are in life. It is not only an affirmation of articles of faith, but it is also the reality of how their faith in God has shaped them in their places and allowed them to navigate their circumstances. They have been challenged, and yet they persist in their faith. There are times when we look into the dark space, and it may seem crazy, but we do it. It requires that we wait. It requires that we live in trust. It requires that we allow for God to be at work in ways that we may not want to wait for, but when we wait for them and when we take those exposures and we compile the results, there is a beautiful and marvelous deep field of faith. My hunch is that the knowledge that the elders and deacons have been sharing with me is not simply their story, it is also your story. And each one of you and all of us together, we have our own story of faith. You may not have only read the story of faith in the book, but more times than not, when I hear people tell their story of faith, it reveals those things that are deep and powerful and maybe not seen at first brush. These things are, these are the things that others do not see, yet are quite real and present. They are the ways that we keep alive the promise of life and hope in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.